If you will, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to be this morning. As we continue in our series, Conviction, Unwavering Church in a Wavering World. Our goal in the midst of a world going crazy, and it always has, it's not as though it's worse than it's ever been. That's usually hyperbole when people say that. Uh, But it is a crazy world, and there are new challenges. Even if the fact that there are challenges is not news, there are new challenges challenges, and we have a great many before us today in our culture, the need to pray is a great one. And as a church, our commitment is to proclaim the truth of God's Word. As a church, our commitment, as we uh, will discuss over and over and over again, is going to be to worship in spirit and truth and to share the gospel. But there's one that must be mentioned very early on, and it is our focus today. It is our conviction that we believe firmly in the power of prayer according to the will of God. It's our third conviction out of the 10 that we hold near and dear and use to measure our ministry each and every year. And the word pray is real simple. Even Merriam-Webster gets this right. Here's how a simple worldly dictionary defines it. To make a request in a humble manner to address God or a deity with adoration, confession, supplication, or thanksgiving. Well, it's pretty obvious, pretty simple. You go to the Lord and you talk to Him. You talk to God. Uh, Prayer is one of our core convictions because a praying church is a powerful church. Without prayer, we're going to be powerless. I think we can get a lot of people to come and hang out at a lot of different things. If you have good food, if you have good location, all of those things will form some sort of social club. But without prayer, we are truly powerless. And yet, how many understand so many things distract us from prayer? Prayer can be an outright challenge because of the busyness of life, even good things like doing ministry and serving and life on the go and having children can be a blessing. And next thing you know, you're at soccer practice and ballet, and then you're at this extracurricular and that extracurricular, and you're, you're so busy doing all of these good things, pretty soon you find yourself wavering when it comes to great things like prayer. I want to talk about prayer that shapes history. And so if you have a hand free, why don't you grab a, the hand of your neighbor? We're going we're gonna to begin with praying a prayer that will shape you so you can shape history. Father, thank you for everything that you've done for us. This, thanks for this wonderful week. And Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to the authority that you've given us in Jesus Christ to mold and shape history, to be cultural architects that, that, that bend history towards the king and his kingdom. Amen. Amen. I, I want to talk about um, the divine responsibility of mankind to take our divine authority and lead the earth. Uh, prayer is an act of leadership as it authorizes God to do, the wi- do his will on a planet. Let me read this again. Prayer is an act of leadership as it authorizes God to do his will on our planet. Now, what does that mean? Why don't you turn to Genesis chapter 1, and I just want to just begin to lay the foundation for what is it that God has for us, both as believers and as humans? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And listen to this. Let him rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Ladies, isn't it awesome that you have authority over creeps? I just thought it was awesome right from the beginning. The Lord's like, they'll need authority over creeps and just put it in there right there. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. 
male and female, he created them, and God blessed them, and God said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And I don't know how you rule fish, but my wife is doing a pretty good job of catching them. Today's episode, as I'm sure you can already figure out, has to do with the topic of prayer. And as a believer in Christ, it is vitally important that we understand biblical prayer. And if you've been in any types of movements, such as the hyper-charismatic church or the New Apostolic Reformation, then you will understand that there can be a misunderstanding um, and a warped understanding even of prayer and what you've been taught. I know I can certainly relate to that. And I thought it would be good today to do an exercise as a, as a layperson and as a student of the Word. As you and I, as we come and we, we listen to this, these teachings today, and we take some time to look at some of the things in them, to make some observations, and to come away and ask ourselves some questions. And this may be even a good habit to get into when you're doing your own private Bible study or you're listening to someone online or you're, you're paying attention at church, you definitely want to go over your notes that you're taking and, um, and be sure that you're paying attention and that you're studying scripture. Part of this exercise today is going to deal with taking two different messages that were taught about prayer and to see if we come away understanding prayer better based on what scripture says, and if we've learned how to apply it to our lives in the correct way, and if it's been presented properly for us to understand scripture better. The first clip you heard was from Costi Hinn, and the title of this sermon had to deal with their convictions that they held at their shepherd's house in Arizona, and the conviction number three was praying according to the will of God. Now, he is going to talk more about uh, prayer here, and we're going to talk about some of that, play a couple of clips. And what I did was I listened to both of these messages. I took notes as I went along the way. The second message I played a clip from came from Chris Vallotton's message, How to Shape History Through Prayers. And this was posted online about nine months ago, and it was on his uh, podcast episode, so someone shared it. And so I left out the beginning intro of his podcast on there and got right into it. But what we just heard are the very opening introductions to these messages or these sermons. So we're going to look at them today. We're going to go through scripture, and we're going to touch on some things of observations that I noted when I listened to both of them in, in their entirety. Um, I'll probably share some personal things along the way to kind of help encourage any of you ladies in your walk. And maybe you are having questions with prayer that you don't understand prayer now having come out of this movement or that you still have questions and, and wanting to understand biblically. And I think that maybe sharing some encouragement personally, but above all, understanding scripture is where it's going to help you the most. But I do think as believers, we can encourage one another to understand what prayer looks like. And, and I want you to know that I've had those struggles along the way too, and I've shared those in the past. But for those that may be new to listening to my podcast, I want to share with you again, that, and so that you can understand that I'm not coming from a place of not understanding what it is like to have these confusing teachings about prayer and what the what you have been taught that prayer was, but now when you go back to scripture, it doesn't match up. So let's take a look at these teachings today based on prayer and see if we can gain some better understanding of what scripture has to say. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Sick Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the word and loving the one who is the word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Sick Scribe. 
So before we get started today with both of these messages and looking at them according to what Scripture has to say, I wanted to make this point, as I often do in these episodes. Whenever we're looking at something that involves a specific individual that's putting forth a teaching or a claimed prophetic word or whatever that they're saying and we're testing it against Scripture— I hope that those who are listening and maybe new to this podcast, that you understand we are never going to be attacking the individual. This is not a character assassination on an individual. It is completely biblical to look at what someone is teaching, what someone is even saying and claiming and their opinion when they're um, measuring it up to scripture or they're putting it alongside scripture. And it's biblical for us to look at it. And so that's what we're going to do. And that's what I normally do in these episodes is to look at what someone is saying or teaching or or claiming to prophesy, whatever the case may be, in accordance with Scripture and to test it against Scripture, to look at their teaching and to critique that, not the individual themselves. So I just wanted to say that up front. And I, I know I've said that many times in the past. But I just wanted to say it again, because we're going to be looking at Costi Hen first, and, and I'm going to go through some notes and just share some scriptures with you. And I hope that you'll be encouraged to take notes and to uh, write these scriptures down and that you will do your own testing of these things, even if it ta- even if you do it for like 30 minutes or something afterwards, whatever you want to do to make sure that you're not just listening to what I'm saying and taking it for face value. I want you to be a good student of the word and to continue to be that good Berean and to dig into scripture and to love God's word because that's part of our fellowship with Christ is to love his word. And the more that we understand the word in a better context, in the proper context, rather than just pulling and and picking out the scriptures that we love so much, but we don't understand the context of them in scripture. And yes, they can still be encouraging to us, even in the context that they're in, but I want you to uh, have that, that fellowship with God's, with God's word. And in doing so, you're going to love God even more because you're going to understand his ways. And you're going to understand what he loves and what he hates and, and that he has indeed set boundaries. That this, there's, a, there's a really well-known thing that people like to say of don't put God in a box. Well, God has established boundaries for his people. And he's done that for a reason. It's to protect us. It's to guide us. It's to keep us in the path that he has laid out for us to walk in that is going to glorify him. And we can know that through scripture. So let's look at what Costi Hen had to say. I want to play a couple of clips. I may play a couple more from Chris Vallotton because there were just a few things that he said that um, caught my ear when I was listening to them. And so I wanted to play them so that way you could hear them. I don't want to misrepresent him or misstate him on some things. It seemed as if when I was going through Costi's message that it was more it continued to go through because he was expositing on a particular portion of scripture. Whereas with Chris, we're going to see that that's, that's much different. But when we're looking at Costi Hen's message, when he's talking about the conviction that they have for their church, and really we could say this for us as believers is that praying according to the will of God. Now I know that that is a touchy subject, especially if you're coming out of word of faith in areas of the charismatic church I think it's important for us to talk about it and and I'm familiar with the statement of, you know, we don't we don't pray if God God's will be done because that's a weak prayer or that's a prayer of unbelief which the scripture does not agree with that as we're going to see. But Costi starts out um he talks about defining prayer which we've already listened to at the beginning and he did make the statement that a praying church is a powerful church 
and that prayer can be a challenge due to daily distractions, which can be good things. You know, if our kids are doing certain activities and or we're, we have different things in our day to day routines that keep us busy, that those are not necessarily bad things. But we have to make sure that we are focusing on the greater things is what he talked about. So I'm, I'm just trying to uh, recap and um, call to remembrance the things that we heard in the beginning, in case you're wondering. So then he goes on in his message to talk about quiet time. And he says that being alone with God through prayer and the word is is vital. It's important. And Jesus modeled this in um, his walk in his earthly ministry that he um, sought solitude. He sought time alone with the Father. And so it's important that we do that, that we are um, having this private time, this alone time with God through prayer and through the word. And that this is important because it is, it's one of the areas, again, that we fellowship with God. Now, he did acknowledge that this can be a challenge for us in the busyness of life. And I can relate to that. I'm sure you can relate to that, too. There's so many things that vie for our attention, and we can have a lot of reasons Let's call them reasons, but they're really excuses a lot of times. There, there can be reasons slash excuses as to why we can't read the Bible when today we have glorious technology. It depends on what day it is, honestly, when I call it glorious, because most of the time technology really does not like me very well. <laughs> uh, God is using technology to sanctify me, and, I have, and I'm very stubborn about it. So I, you can pray for me on that one, because I continue to need sanctification for that. But... Um, we can find a lot of reasons in our day to, to find why we can't read the Bible or why we can't pray. And we can let the busyness of life, the cares of life, um, really overwhelm us or overcome us. And then they they begin to take precedence over the fact that we need to pray when we have those cares or those anxieties in our lives and those trials, that we're, we're to go to God in prayer. He called the congregation to stand as he read from Scripture from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Let's listen to him read those. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talking says, Pray then this way, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. I'll pray one final time. Father, as we turn our attention to your word, we ask that what Jesus makes clear would direct us in our prayers. Teach us to pray. Help us to know how. And for those of us in the room that are certain we know how, we just struggle with the when, would you lovingly and graciously in your goodness convict us deeply? I pray that some of us would go home today, not with one of those Sunday pats on the back, but that deep gut-wrenching knot in our stomach, the feeling of conviction, knowing that one was for me. I pray you would do that for me all the more, and Pastor Brett and our team, that no matter how much of a prayer warrior anyone ever thinks they are, that we would once again be convicted. Pray, and pray all the more. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I will share the links to both of these services just for fairness, so that way you can go listen to them if you like. And that way you can understand and, and make sure that what I'm sharing with you is, in fact, coming from these services. Costi goes on to exposit Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. And so I want to share with you some of the summary from those and play some clips along the way. And then we'll get into Chris Valatin's message about prayer 
and go from there. But um, Costi starts talking about the summary um, prior to Matthew 6 with Matthew 5 when Jesus is, it's the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is talking about different areas for people to understand as far as uh, what the truth is when giving to the needy, to love your enemies, uh, retaliation. And then it goes on into chapter six. After he talks about giving to the needy, he starts um, talking to them about the Lord's Prayer because his disciples had asked him about how they are supposed to pray, to teach them how to pray. And he, at the same time, he was also at, at some point, Costi points out that Jesus was talking about how the Pharisees prayed and did. And the fact that they added to the law with man's traditions, they didn't hold to their own standards. And no one challenged them in that time. If you did challenge the Pharisees, you were cut off. I mean, you could be cut off from your family. You could be cut off from the synagogue. You could be cut off from society. It was not convenient and it was not ideal to to challenge the Pharisees. And as you go on, he, he talks about in verses 5, 6, and 7, he points this out specifically in saying, when you read about the Lord's Prayer, it says, and when you pray in verse 5, and then uh, verse 6 starts out, but when you pray, and verse 7 says, and when you pray. So there is this focus that Costi points out in his message that we are continually shows what, what we are called to do as believers. We are given this opportunity and privilege that God has given us. So we are called to pray. He was telling his disciples, this is how you were to pray. He's giving them the, them the, the model for it. And this is how we are to pray. No matter how the hypocrites pray, this is, this is how we are to pray because this is our Lord giving us um, an idea and understanding. And then Costi goes to point out that there are actually six guidelines that you can note in these verses 9 through 13 in Matthew 6 that give us some understanding about prayer. Now, number one, he points out that Jesus shows us how to relate to God. And he talks about the fact that Jesus points out that he says, our Father in heaven, and the Father there is Abba, Father. So let's listen to a little bit of what he has to say about this, and he elaborates more on praying in a group and being a part of God's family, and that where. um he is in heaven, we are reminded he is over all things. And so I found this to be really encouraging, but I want you to listen to this clip that I'll play regarding this first guideline of prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. So three key truths right away. You understand if you look at it closely. Father, in the Aramaic, which is likely what Jesus was speaking, this is the word Abba. He's not a distant deity, amen? He is a close and relational Father. You get to relate to God this way. You don't need a priest or a prophet between the two of you. You've been called by God. You've had your eyes open to God. If you believe by faith in his son, you have been adopted by God. Most people think of God, if they aren't a Christian, as some sort of distant, angry deity. You make them mad, you get smite, smited or smitten or killed. And then he says, our father, which implies there's a familial view here. We do pray alone, but we often pray together as Christians. That's why when we're here, we pray multiple times. There's a plurality to prayer. In small groups, we pray. In our homes, we pray. When we gather for worship, we pray. In pre-service meetings, we pray. Everything is covered with prayer. You're a part of something when you pray. When you address God in a way, you're not alone. You're a part of His family. It's our Father, our Abba, the one who we relate to. 
Now, as Costi goes on with this, this first guideline, he says that he has not abandoned us. And this is something that we can be encouraged in, that God has not abandoned us. No matter how we feel, no matter what we're going through, as his children, as believers in Christ, he has not abandoned us. Um, he pointed to several scriptures regarding this first guideline that that we are to remember, first of all, in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, that God is our creator. He is the creator of heaven and earth. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3, we find out that he is full of love, mercy, and compassion. In Matthew 6, 26, he values his children. And in Hebrews 12, 5 through 6, he disciplines his children. And I would encourage you to read these passages because it's really important that we take time um, after a service or after we've listened to a message, if we're listening to it online, um, that and I've been guilty of this too, because we get so busy. So I don't want to come across and say, well, I always do this. <laughs> I, I want to not be the one of those people that says, do as I say, not as I do. There, there are things, I mean, all of us get busy. But it's always important that we take time to, to go to scripture and to look and to see what we're listening to. If we're listening to a, a quick podcast devotional, or we're listening to a message, or we're in the Sunday service gathering, whatever we're doing, we need to be sure that we're staying in the word. And, we're, and we make sure that what we're being fed is lining up with what scripture has to say. Um, the second guideline he said is that we recognize the Father is holy. And so this comes where Jesus says, hallowed be your name. And we recognize God is holy, and that word holy is is set apart. And he says, nothing comes close to God without changing. And I thought that was a really good point to uh, bring to mind was nothing comes close to God without changing. And so if we're truly drawing close to God, there is going to be change within us because God changes us. It's not an emotion. It's not hype. It's not anything like that. And I, there's nothing wrong with emotions. But it's just this thing of sometimes we we tend to think if there's an emotion present, then God's in that. And that if we don't have that emotion, that God's not in that. And that's not the case at all. We may not feel anything, but God is there with us. And so um, nothing comes close to God without changing. I thought that was a, a good point that he made. And he said, this removes casual approaches to God. Acosta acknowledged that God is personal accessible, he's knowable, and he's loving. And the scriptures that he referenced for this area, Micah chapter 4, verse 5 says, For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Psalm chapter 30, verse 4 says, Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. And then Revelation chapter 4, verse 8 is referring to something that is even ongoing in heaven as we speak, when those that are gathered around the throne, uh, the angels are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and who is to come. And so the second guideline that he is pointing out is again talking about that we remember that our Father is holy. Now, he did point out that some people may say, well, if God is holy and good, what is his will? How are we supposed to know his will? And he went on to Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, because this, this correlates with that question that people ask. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done. And he said, we respect the Father's will above our own. And that prayer is to be focused on the establishment of God's kingdom. And this includes laying aside personal dreams and desires in life. I know that many of us, I know that I can attest to this, many of us have been told at one time or another that God wants to fulfill your dreams. He wants to fulfill your 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 deepest desires and that he wants you to have everything that, that your heart's content for. And that's not true. <laughs> um, 
in the sense that we think that God wants us to have what we want material wise and, and, and these other, it can go into this, um, extreme area is the point I want to get across with this, just to share a little bit that we have to be willing when we're praying, God, I lay aside and Costi was talking about this, that I lay aside the desires, the wants, the, the dreams that I have in my life, because I want to be focused on you. I want your will. I want your kingdom to come and your will be done. And this is one of the things that he talked about in this and gave an analogy. And he asked this question because he was asked this question at one point by one of his teachers, I believe, when he was in college. He said, you know, would you want heaven if Jesus wasn't there? He made the point of saying that a lot of times when we think about heaven, you know, we want we want Christ to come back, but we want him to wait until after we've gotten married or after we've had kids or after we've gotten our house or after we've fulfilled all these dreams and desires that we have in our own life. Now, let me play a little clip from Costi's sermon that expounds on this a little bit more so you can hear what he had to say in his own words. Can you and I pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. If all of life went the way I always wanted, but you didn't come, and I wasn't with you in the end. I don't even want it. I just want you. Is he the ultimate treasure? We pray, your will be done. God's will is mentioned several times throughout the New Testament. It's his will that people be saved in 1 Timothy 2.4. It's his will that you rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and then Paul says, giving thanks in every circumstance. So part of praying God's will, the way Jesus calls us to, is saying, Lord, I thank you. It's not a great day right now. I'm going through trial, but I thank you. I'm going to rejoice anyway, because at least I have you, and I know if I have you, I have everything, even if everything seems to be falling apart. That's the call to pray according to the will of God. There's a call to grow in holiness and purity. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, it literally says that's God's will for you and I to be sanctified. So you think, well, why do you want us to come to church? And why be in the Word? And why be together? And why be growing? And why make a big deal about any of this? Well, because it's God's will that we grow in our holiness and in our walk with Him. Now, he's going to go on to talk about why pray if God is sovereign, because some people may ask that question. Well, if God is sovereign, meaning that He's in control, And we'll hear Chris Valentin talk about this in a little bit because he did actually have something to say about it in the the message that he did. Again, as you listen to these, I just want you to think, am I learning what Scripture has to say in context? Am I learning how to apply this to my life as a believer in Christ? Is this helping me to understand what prayer biblically is when you listen to these? I want you to ask those questions. I'm not going to answer those questions for you. I want you to ask yourself those questions as you listen to these two men share these messages today. Kasi talks about why I pray if God is sovereign. And he says, God in his sovereignty uses our prayers as a means to accomplish his sovereign will. And he shares, an, uh, I'm going to share another clip in just a second that he did when he talked about uh, God growing us in our trials and that God's will has been revealed in Scripture, and there's two different wills that He's revealed we'll talk about in just a moment. But I want to share this clip with you, and then I'll share a little bit of personal um, testimony with you that I've probably shared before. I may share a little bit more detail today. But I want you to understand that if you're struggling with prayer, that you're not alone in that as far as someone who who once struggled with prayer biblically coming out of the movement that I was part of. What about that? And what a bottom line, we're called to pray. Lord, your will be done. Well, why did that person get healed? And I still have cancer. Why did they get the door open for them? And I didn't. I don't know. Your will be done. God grows us in trials. 
To say that we have the mind of God, like I know everything, is to go outside the bounds of Scripture. The prophet Isaiah says, of God, my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts are above your thoughts. So this is what I do know, that God is sovereign. What I do know is that his will will be accomplished. What I can't guarantee is that it's going to go the way you always dreamed of it going. But what I do know is his will will be done. That's the way we approach prayer. So Kasi talked about how God grows us in trials. And that's not something that we necessarily, we don't want that. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys say, oh, yes, please, God, sign me up for something really difficult to um, strengthen my faith or to sanctify me and to draw me closer to you. We want to draw closer to God. But if we're if we're honest, at least I'll be honest, I don't want to grow uh, closer to God through a trial. But I also know that my ways are not his ways. For those of you that may know, a couple years ago, back in 2020, actually, the end of 2020, my husband ended up starting to have some some symptoms that were a bit concerning. And looking back, it was going on a little bit longer than that when I st- we started putting the p- puzzle pieces together. But uh, he started having some issues, some numbness in his, um, in his legs. And it came on pretty suddenly. It started in both feet and worked its way up by a few days. It was up around uh, the bottom of his ribcage. And I had been urging him to go and to, and to be seen. So he um, got an appointment in. Again, he'd already been to a neurosurgeon before because of other pain and such that he was having, but this was different. And so they finally did an MRI on him. And um, we were kind of shocked when it came back that they said, well, there's a lesion in his spine. It's not operable. We think it's MS. And that was not even something that we were, we were thinking about. So that happened in December of 2020, at the beginning of December. On, in de- on December 20th, um, he lost the ability to urinate. And so he had to go to the emergency room and had to have an indwelling catheter put in. And then um, about almost a month later, he developed an infection because of that and had to be hospitalized. And that was in January of 2021. And then in March of 2021, he became septic because of another bladder infection because of catheterizations and such. And so um, in the process of all this, trying to get him some medical care, trying to be diligent in getting him somewhere. And, and thank the Lord, we were fa- able to get fast-tracked into a specialty area that, uh, that we have to drive to a couple times a year. But we were able to, to go there and to um, get him seen and to get some professional care. And to confirm that it was, in fact, MS, and they did some other scans and, and talked with us and, and got him some medications. And the past couple of years, it's been, um, it's been quite a ride. It's been a journey. And um, there have been a lot of answers to prayer that were not in the way that I prayed now, but they were still answers to prayer nevertheless, that God gave a yes in certain areas. Um, He was able to have a procedure done last year at this same specialty university where they did an implant in his back. And so he was, he's actually able to be catheter free now. And we praise God for that. That was, that was not my first answer to prayer that I came out of a movement that, you know, you believe that God will do it, you faith, you don't doubt. And if you do doubt, then, you know, you don't have any faith whatsoever. And so th- there were there were elements that I came out of that really affected me when this happened. I had already come out of a high risk pregnancy in 2020. And along with the pandemic, and so that had added extra stress along with having a high risk pregnancy. And so then we had a reprieve for a few months after our son was born, and then this hit us. And I got to tell you, um, 
it, that was a moment in my life. We came out of this movement in 2019, uh, 2020, when all this, all this broke loose with, with this in our family, it was extremely difficult. And one of the things that I battled um, with this, and I'm just, I'll just be transparent with you today because I want to help someone else. I want to, I want to help another lady that's, that may have dealt with this or um, with issues, not necessarily the specific things we did, but in the capacity of maybe you've had some of these thoughts and you've battled with this, but I was at a loss for prayer. I remember walking out of the hospital uh, when my husband was hospitalized the second time and he was septic. And I knew that that was extremely serious. And I walked out of the parking lot that night and went home by myself. And I was in tears. I, I was walking in the parking lot to my car and thinking, I don't know how to pray. I'm at a loss. I, I can't decree and declare like I used to do because that's not prayer. Because when I read scripture, I don't see people praying in that way. That's not prayer. And I would go back, and even in my pregnancy, I would, I would fall back to Philippians 4. Philippians 4, where it says, um, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known. The Lord is at hand. And it goes on to say, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And that was one of those verses. There were a couple of verses that I would continue because I was still learning how to pray. And I thought, I don't know what else to do, God, except to recall your, your, your word to my memory and to be comforted by that. Because you said not to be anxious for anything. But with everything by prayer and supplication, which is begging, that's pleading with God. We are to bring our petitions to God. We're to give him thanksgiving. There's an, there's an acrostic you may come across called Acts. Um, it's a prayer model. It's really helpful. And I don't mean that in a legalistic way, but that may be helpful to some of you to look up that acrostic Acts. And it's adoration, confession, thanksgiving and uh, supplication. And it kind of helps you put in perspective that prayer is not just this mundane checklist that, oh God, you know, I just want to come, I just want to pray for so-and-so and and do this and do that. And, and that we treat prayer as, well, that's why I don't want to do it because it's just like a checklist. Whereas if we come with the posture before God, I've come here to acknowledge who you are, acknowledge or adore you. Some people say acknowledge, but you can say adoration. I've come here to acknowledge who you are and to praise your holy name and to glorify you and to, and to pour out my worship before you, God, and just, and just to, just to lift up your name and then to confess before you that I am a sinner and that I fall short daily and I need your grace and I need your mercy and I, and I need you daily, God, I need you every hour of every day. And then, um, to, and whatever you're dealing with, as far as you, you coming before the throne of grace with that, and then thanksgiving, praising and thanking God, and then supplicating that we're, that we're bringing our petitions, we're praying, but I remember going through that and I was, I was at a loss. I mean, I had gone through this whole thing of, I can't decree and declare like this. There's no way I can do this. I was so convicted over it. And in reading scripture, I thought, I don't even know how to pray anymore. (laughs) I don't even know how to pray. And then on top of that, um, one thing I probably haven't shared with this, but I will today is one of the things that I really battled with was this feeling this um this thought this con it was condemnation is what it was it was a, and it was an absolute lie of the enemy that had been ingrained into my thinking for years in this movement whenever people left the church that we were part of these people were looked down upon i mean we 
we were encouraged not to have dealings with these people because they had, you know, been disloyal or they had been disrespectful to the, the main leader. And they come out from underneath their spiritual covering and that what they were just opening themselves up to the attacks of the enemy. And when this happened to my husband, one of the things I dealt with was the, the thought that I, that it was my fault. If I hadn't said anything contrary to the apostle, or if I hadn't, if we hadn't left the church, if we hadn't come out from underneath that covering, that none of this would have happened, that I began to blame myself for it, to think that it was all in my power and in my doing, and it was my fault. But now I understand having come on the other side of that and, and growing more in scripture and seeing these examples and understanding God's sovereignty. And this is the thing that really it, it was encouraging to me when I was listening to this message is reminding why pray if God is sovereign, because God gives us this opportunity to pray and use it as a means to accomplish his sovereign will, as Costi said, and that we grow, God grows us in trials. And I do not doubt for one second, I know as far as I'm personally speaking, that God grew me in that time of, of prayer, of trusting him, um, realizing that there, I didn't really trust him. I was trusting in my own words because of what I'd been taught before. I was trusting in myself. And now that that was gone and it had, it was, it was nowhere to be found. I was realizing I really, my trust is truly in God and I'm going to have to trust him. I now, because I can't see it. I can't decree it. I can't declare it. I can't command this to go away. I'm good trusting in God's sovereignty right now. And I'm going to tell you that that it's not been it's not been easy, but it has been so beautiful and liberating to learn more how to pray and to come to God in my weakness and not stand like a strong pillar of strength, but that I can come to God in my brokenness and my weakness and ask him and trust him regardless of, of what the outcome is and to thank him regardless of what I'm praying and to also understand that he does he does grow us in these trials. There's been times that my husband and I have seen people um, come in for their appointments when we have to go for his doctor's appointments and we see people coming in on, on canes and they're, or they're being brought in in wheelchairs or they're they're blind because they have a lesion that's caused them to lose their vision or they're completely debilitated and there's times that we've looked at each other and and I know we're just thinking thank you God you know thank because he's been kind and he's been merciful in that capacity and and I'm thankful that he got the care that he needed so quickly because that's not the case for everybody there were so many areas and we can look at those things and we think, well, why did that person get that? Like Hossie was saying, why did that person get this and we didn't? Well, we don't understand that. But I can also say that um, my husband and I have more compassion for people when they're sick now, too. You know, in this movement, too, it was this whole, and it's a side note, but sometimes there's, you lack compassion because you think, well, you just, you just don't have enough faith. If you just had enough faith for that, then, then if you just decreed and declared that, it would go away. Instead of having compassion as brothers and sisters in Christ and praying with one another, serving one another, and, and being there for one another in the midst of weakness and, and, um, 
and continuing all the while to fix our gaze on Christ and to put our trust in God and to remember what his word says. So I hope that that helps in sharing that. God's will he talks about has been revealed in scripture. There's the secret will, which is the return of Christ and our future. That's not clearly laid out in scripture of exact, exact times when that's going to happen. But then we have the revealed will of God that's laid out in scripture. Uh, And he referenced Luke chapter 22, verse 42 in that. And he said that Jesus modeled praying the will of God. And this is not a prayer of doubt or unbelief, but of humility, because we are acknowledging our need for God and that he is in control. And we are to also request provision for our needs. Um, The next verse that we go to in that when he says, give us this day our daily bread. This helps us to relieve anxiety over our our daily needs. When we are praying this way and we're asking God that this, this also relieves our anxiety because, again, our trust is in God. And he referred to Matthew six thirty three as says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you, which I'm sure many of us have heard that misappropriated many, many times instead of reading it in context. But when you read it in context, we understand that we are to seek uh, the kingdom of God first and to trust that God will provide for us. And a lot of times, Costi made this point of that we, we do not seek the kingdom first. We strategize and we're trying to figure things out on our own. And God's goal is to grow us, to make us a good and mature steward. Now, he talk, did talk about um, being content when he grows us through trials. And he referenced Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. And so I would refer you to those and, and looking at being content with God. Number five, he said that re, we repent for our sins. And this is the the verse that says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And he said, we repent for our sins because our sins are a financial and moral obligation, essentially, is what they're equated to. And that's the word that's used there, he points out. He said, we are indebted to God because of our sin. There's a, there's a debt that we owe um, before we come to Christ. Um, Christ has fully paid that debt for us. There's no debt that we owe now. Um, and so we can be we can be thankful. We can rejoice in that because of Christ. A true Christian responds to sin according to 1 John 1, 9, he pointed out. And it's in humility and, and awareness. And um, that, that person, that individual is uh, wanting a change of mind. It's leading to a change of ways because that's what repentance is. We are to forgive those who have sinned against us. And we have to realize that we are all sinners. And so um, there was this quote from this well-known minister that he said, uh, you don't have to forgive anyone if you don't sin. And none of us can claim that. And so um, we do not hold withhold forgiveness. And we can reference back to Ephesians 4.32 in understanding this. And then the last verse, he focused on verse 13, where it talks about, um, and, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this is reaching for the Father's protection from temptation and praying not to succumb and to falter. And he referenced 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And I want to read that here because I think that'll be helpful as well if you've ever dealt with um, things in your life that can be a temptation um, and that can obviously lead to sin, which is against God. I think this really helps us. Um, as always, Scripture is always so helpful because it puts things in perspective for us and it, t- and it steers us back to the truth of what God has to say on a matter. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'll just read this. Verse 13 says... 
let no, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so Costi shares near the end that when we rely on prayer, we rely on what God can do. Now, I know that took a little bit longer, but I want to I wanted to share uh, what was in that message. Now, there's a few clips from Chris Valentin that we'll listen to. And I, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm just sharing the notes with you today of both of these messages. And then I want to encourage you to, from there, you have to go as a student of the word, go back to what the Bible says and measure them, test them against scripture. Now, Chris Valentin, again, he had this message that he called How to Shape History Through Prayers. And we played the introductory clip of him uh, praying at the beginning, and he discussed divine responsibility of mankind to take our divine authority and lead the earth. And his prayer um, is an act of uh, leadership, is what he said. Prayer is an act of leadership. He continued to expound on Genesis 1, and, and he read that, and it talked about how to rule over the living creatures. He shared the fishing story, which we stopped with. And then he said that God gave man authority over the earth, but in Genesis 3, the serpent came. Um, we know there were two trees in the garden. And then um, he talks about that the most powerful thing Adam and Eve did. So let's have a listen for just a minute as far as that's concerned, and we'll go from there. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Yes, they disobeyed God. But the most powerful thing they did in a negative sense is they didn't just disobey God. They obeyed the devil. Did you get what I just said? In other words, what I'm getting at is that God gave Adam and Eve, he gave mankind authority over the earth. And mankind, Adam and Eve, gave their, their authority to the devil. So he became the God of this world. And then in Luke chapter 4, if you want to turn there, Jesus is in a, a fast, a 40-day fast, and he's out in the wilderness. And in verse 5, it's, it says this, And the devil led him, led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. And the devil said to him, I will give you this dominion and its glory, for they have been handed over to me, and you can do And I give them to whoever I wish. Let me read this last part again. For they've been handed over to me, and I give them to whoever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me, it will be yours. Where did the devil get dominion and authority? Remember it says, and they've been handed over to me. If you will worship me, I will give you all the dominion and all authority over all the kingdoms of the world if you'll just worship me. Because they've been handed over to me, and I give them to whoever I wish. Who gave the devil authority? Adam. Now, I did want to interject (laughs) for just a moment, because this was a a teaching that I had heard for a long time, and this is something you may have heard for a long time, that that man gave his authority to, to, to Satan, and that because he did that, the devil was able to do what he wanted to do on the earth. This is a word of faith teaching that I heard for a number of years. And I'm sure that others of you all have heard this as well. This is not an uncommon teaching, but it, it is a word of faith teaching. And uh, that, that Satan had dominion over the earth because Adam gave him dominion. And something that it seems to ignore when you hear that type of teaching is God's sovereignty. Um, and, you know, Chris talked about this, about um, that this is why Jesus had to come as man. He expounds on Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. And says the devil has power, but God 
gives power and that Jesus won the authority back. And he says, this is why Jesus had to come as man, because because man lost his dominion. But we know from scripture that Jesus came because of sin and rebellion and to bring the ministry of reconciliation. I wanted to read to you a couple of articles that I found that will may that may help provide some more insight into this. There was one from John Piper that I found um, that that talked about how much authority does Satan have in the world, and he said um, under this uh, subheading "Real but Defeated," he said Satan's sway in this world is terrible and vast. And here's what we read: the whole world lies in the power of the devil. First John five nineteen. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Ephesians two verses one and two. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Second Corinthians chapter four verse four. Jesus says in his night. Uh, Jesus says in his last night, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. John fourteen thirty. And so he he talks about uh, I'll post the, the link to this because it was a it was a good article. And then there's another one I want to read to you from Ligonier that talks about has Satan been given dominion over the earth until Jesus returns? If so, why was he given this authority? And one thing we have to understand is when there's a teaching like this that says, well, man gave up his dominion. And so Jesus had to come back. This is why Jesus came back. And then real and it, it may seem to be ignoring um, rebellion and sin against God and the, and the ministry of reconciliation in that capacity. And there's another article from Ligonier that I mentioned just a second ago, and it talks about uh, Satan being given dominion over the earth until Jesus returns. And it says, there's only one supreme Lord over all the world, and that's God. We are told in the Old Testament that his whole concept of dominion was shared with Adam and Eve. Man was given dominion over the earth to be vice regents for God, that is, vice kings to represent God's reign on this planet. Of course, we made a terrible mess out of it, and we were subjected more and more to the power of Satan. That power of Satan was dealt not just a significant blow, but a fatal blow by Christ in his incarnation. And it goes on in this uh, short article um, that to say that Satan's authority and power are limited and subordinate to the authority that is vested in Christ. Christ right now is the king of this earth. His kingdom is invisible, and not everybody acknowledges it. People are giving more allegiance to the prince of darkness than to the prince of peace. But that is an act of usurpation on the part of Satan. His power is restricted, limited, and temporal. What has happened briefly is this. The power and authority of Satan has been de- dealt a fatal blow by Christ. The cross the incarnation, the resurrection, and the ascension tremendously weakened any power or authority that Satan enjoyed, but it didn't annihilate him. That will come later when Christ completes his work of redemption with the consummation of his kingdom. All things will be brought into captivity to him, and every knee will bow to him, including the fallen angels who will bow in submission to his authority. So I thought that would be a helpful article just to kind of insert in here to give um, some more uh, context and clarity, if you will, to this particular subject. But as we go on in Chris Valentin's message, and again, I'm, as I reminded you in Costi's message, th- just ask yourself these questions. Are you hearing the Bible ministered to where you leave and you understand it better? Are you understanding how to apply s- scripture to your life in, a, in an applicable way as a believer to understand prayer? I want you to notice who the focus is in the messages. That's another question that I ask myself. Who is the focus in these messages? Is Christ the focus? Is man the focus? Is Satan the focus? Who is the focus in this? Am I understanding scripture better? But as he goes on, he says, not only um, do you have power back from the devil, but you have authority. He has no authority. He says we have all authority. Chris says we have all authority. 
And he said, talks about the original design that man was to rule the world. And then he goes on to say this, um, this well popularized quote um, that he that Bill Johnson actually said, I think he was the, um, the originator of this quote, Chris Valentin was not, but I want to play this for you. So you can hear what he has to say about God's sovereignty. No, God's in God's in charge, but he's not in control. People hate that statement. I didn't, it doesn't originate with me. God is in charge, but he's not in control. Well, how, what do you mean God's not in control? If God was in control, there would be no murder. There'd be no, there'd be no rape. There'd be no abortion. There'd be no evil. Because how many know if God was in charge and in control, God would take the control from human beings. But God leaves human beings in charge of the planet. Okay, now, this is, uh, this is really important. It's important that we realize that when we were born, before we knew Christ, we were born a little lower than the angels. But when we received Jesus Christ, we became born, help me, again. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. There are two Greek words for the word new. One means like you got a new car, and the other is the word prototype. You know what a prototype means? The first of its kind? This is the word prototype. It means never before created. When you receive Jesus Christ, you aren't just a human being. You are a new creation. You are a creature that has never graced the planet before. And one of your advantages is, is that you live dual dimensionally. You live on earth and in heaven. Not try to look up what he was saying and you also notice it's a different style. There, it's not expository, and and there's he it's he moves around in lots of different scriptures. Um, there's nothing wrong with moving around in lots of scriptures if if they actually agree with one another because scripture interprets scripture. Um, but you are going to note that in the in this message that he gives that he jumps around to several different passages. But when he talks about um, focus, that the word there for new focuses on a prototype that's the first of its kind, I really, I had a hard time finding that. So I'm not sure where he found that information because um, he, he doesn't say. And obviously prototype is not a Greek word um, there. Uh, nevertheless, uh, he talks about being born again and that you are born higher than angels when you're born again. And he refers to Hebrews 1 right after that. He said the angels serve and they help those that are ministering spirits. And they answer your prayers and they fulfill your prophecies. He said that. Um, and then he goes on to, to uh, reference Ephesians 2, 6. And I uh, want to read that here. And this is the particular verse where it talks about he raised us up with him and raised us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to talk about that there are three different heavens. There's a first heaven, a third, a second heaven, and a third heaven. And the third heaven... Um, he's talked to congressmen about this, about leading from the third heaven rather than the first heaven, which the first heaven, he says, is the earth. The second heaven is where the angels and the demons are battling, and the third heaven is heaven. And he goes on to talk about Ephesians 6, about the heavenly places and the four principalities. He says um, there are no demons in God's heaven, which is the second heaven. He goes on to uh, move to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, which Paul being taken up into the third heaven. And then Chris goes on to say that we are born in the first heaven, we war in the second heaven, and we're seated in the third heaven. Um, referencing Ephesians chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, uh, with Christ seated far above. And he says that Satan is under our feet and that we live in the first and third heaven. 
about 12 and a half minutes into his message, he starts uh, going back into Ephesians 6.10, and he says that world changers are resisted by world forces. The challenge is, is that we have, we have third heaven authority that we often use in first heaven reality. We make humans our enemy. I want to tell you something. The, the, the devil hates Democrats. He hates Republicans. He hates independent people. He hates Russians. He hates Jewish people. He hates black people and white people. Just name a human. He hates them. He doesn't have any friends on earth. You're, you're not even getting this. I'm saying whenever we villainize a human, we actually play in the second heaven scheme because he has no human friends. So we take our third heaven authority and we use it on first heaven people and wondering why we don't change the world. Good point, Chris. Thank you. Too late. I think we can all agree that when we um, have hatred towards anyone for, for any sort of reason, the ones that he listed, that that is, um, it, it is not godly to have that type of hatred and that we are uh, admonished and encouraged in scripture of how we are to conduct, how do we are con- to conduct ourselves as believers. But he talks about, I don't know if you caught it, but he did talk about how we have this third heaven authority. We're able to be world changers and to, and to change things um, in how we pray and how we decree and declare in what we say. And as he went on, he referenced Philippians 4.15. And Philippians 4.15, in case you're wondering, has to say... And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. 4.15, Paul wrote this. You yourselves know, Philippians, that at my first first preaching of the gospel, I'll stop there. You yourselves know, Philippians, at at my first preaching of the gospel. The two words, first preaching, are the one word, Greek word, origin. You're like, okay, I'm totally lost. Let me explain to you. Paul said, when I came to you, Philippians, I preached the origins of the gospel. I gave you the foundations of the kingdom so that you could see the kingdom through the, the actual origins, that God's first intention, his beginnings. Are you with me? What does the spirit of origin do? It redefines the origins of God. For example... Were you really made in the image of God? Because Genesis 1 said, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And by the way, seven times God said, let us make the fish after their kind. Let us make the cattle after their kind. Let us make the birds after their kind. And seven times God says, after their kind, after their kind, after their kind. The next verse says, and God said, let us make man in our image. After our kind. How many know you were not made after the ape kind? You were not made after the amoeba kind? You were made after the God kind. God made everything after its kind, and you were made after the God kind. That's why you're a son or daughter of God. Are you with me? But the enemies, the spirit of origin comes in and said, Were you really made in the image of God? Or were you an evolutionized amoeba? Or maybe you're a really smart ape. Are you with me? Some of you may find some of that talk familiar, and I sure did. Um, I've heard old clips from uh, Word of Faith teachers, again, 
that have said, what do cows, when two cows get together, a, a cow and a, a bull, what do they make? The cow kind. And a dog, two dogs, a female, male dog, dog kind. And so, and then God made the God kind. And I agree with his point on, uh, you know, as far as the cultural issues are concerned and questioning the very creation itself and our existence. But it also inserts, it, it seems like it inserts this teaching of word of faith in there too about the God kind and, and thinking of that we are um, little gods. And I know that that's been something that has been said before and in, in, uh, in reference to the verses in scripture that um, he, that are talked about that. Um, but he talks about the, the processing in second heaven when giving over to cultural beliefs contradicting the origins of God. And I just wrote that down. I can't explain. I don't know what he means by that, honestly. Um, but I just wrote down what he said. He continues to go on talking about uh, praying. So about the 22-minute mark into his message, he talks about praying prayers of faith. And then he goes on uh, to talk about uh, Matthew 17 and the word smaller, he says, refers to the length you stay in the fight. It's not about the actual size. Again, I struggled to find where he's getting this information from in resources that I have. I was looking in commentaries. I was looking in Strong's Concordance. I have complete word study dictionaries. I have a Greek lexicon that it's Greek to me, but I will sit and take time and try to find the Greek word so I can learn more in what that actual word means when I'm doing my own private study. So I, I could not find where he was getting this information from with this word that meant smaller or littlest um, in that in that verse in, in Matthew 17. Um, but he goes on to talk about Luke 18, about the parable of the judge. And I'm just going in order of what he said, in case you're wondering. So Luke 18, the parable of the judge. And uh, he spent several minutes talking about this and about the fast gratification or instant gratification of our culture. And um, I wanted to play this clip for you in this area where he talks about uh, Luke 18 and this uh, aspect. So let's hear what he had to say. I don't know if you got what he just said. He just, he told the parable to teach them that they ought to pray and not lose heart. And then he goes, hey, you want to know how to never have an unanswered prayer? Yeah, don't stop praying. And then he, and then he asked this question after he, gives the, after he gives them that parable. He said, but when the Son of Man comes, will we find faith on the earth? Relating directly to not how much, but the perseverance of, the perseverance of prayer. Will I find faith on the earth is directly related to will you keep praying? We call it push. It means pray until something happens. Pray until, how long do I pray? Until something happens. I've been prayed for, brother. You, people write me all the time. God bless them. I know how it feels. So do you. And they're like, I, I went to Bethel. I got prayed for five times and I'm still sick. What should I do? Get prayed for again. I got prayed for five times. Yeah, you're not healed, right? Yeah, get prayed for again. What will that do? It'll pray for you again. <laughs> Have you ever heard of a miracle that happened instantly, I hear about them all the time. And I realize it takes God a long time to act suddenly. That person's like, guy came up, he, I, he prayed for me, and, 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 and listen, look at my knee. It was like God formed a new knee. How did that happen? He's like, I don't know, he prayed for me, and instantly I got well. What he didn't tell you has been going up there for six years. How many of you have heard miracles like that? You're like, that's amazing. And you think, I'm going to go up there, and I'm going to get prayed for, and I'm going to get well. And God bless you. I hope you do. But if you don't, go get prayed for again. How many times? Till you get well. So there's nothing wrong with continuing to ask for prayer. 
and and seeking God in, in those matters. But j- just ask yourself if you're always going to get what you ask for in prayer. We heard Costi talk about that and what a scripture have to say about that. Are we always going to get what we ask for in prayer? That's something to, to consider in our, in our personal lives. Um, Chris goes on in this message uh, right after Luke 18. He goes back to Mark eleven twenty three, jumps backwards to Mark eleven twenty three, and he talks about prayer through proclamation. And he says, complaining is to the devil what not, what worship is to God. And then he goes on from there to talk about praying the will of God till he sees it happen. So we'll play that for you here for just a minute. Are you praying with no faith when you are inherently a believer? When I pray, I pray the will of God until I see the will of God happen. I begin to not just pray, but did you see it says, if you say to this mountain, be removed. I don't think it. I don't pray it. I speak to mountains. We started a prayer meeting about, uh, I don't know, eight months ago. Angelo and I started a prayer meeting. It's just one hour long. It's Thursday mornings from eight to nine. And we pray just for government stuff. We pray for our city. We pray for our nation. We pray for other nations. We pray, sometimes we put the most wanted, like we put the 30 most wanted people up on the, on the PowerPoint and with their pictures and their names. And we break up into groups and we pray. Because how many know those are God's most wanted? And we pray for the most wanted. But then here's what we do. We pray until we get a prophecy for them. And then we begin to prophesy. Let's say Jim Jones. We say, Jim Jones, God says, and now we aren't just praying, we're making proclamations over Jim Jones. Jim Jones, you are a noble man. God says you're an Isaiah 61 man. You are a broken captive, and you're going to go rebuild cities. And we begin to prophesy, and there's only about 30 to 100 people in there, but we get with it. I'd rather have 30 people who believe than 10,000 people who are trying to figure out what day it is. He then goes on to Luke 8, chapter 22. And talks about the uh, the story with the, the boat and the, the storm on the waters. And the, uh, they're trying to go to the other side. And I wanted to share this. The last clip I'm going to share with you because there was just something here that he said that, again, I wanted to make you aware of and share and encourage you again as you're hearing this. And if you take time, if you want to try to listen to, to both of these messages and to see the, the questions that I pose to you through this about understanding what biblical prayer is. And if you're getting from scripture, from these messages, what scripture has to say, if you're gaining, if you can walk away from these messages saying, I have a better understanding of what prayer is, then I, I encourage you to, to do those things um, and not just take what I'm saying at, at face value and the sum, the summations that I'm giving you, but to just listen to them and just see if you walk away answering those questions. And then if it's centered, if it's Christ centered or if it's centered on something else, such as Satan or a man or, or, or whatever else. Where, where's your faith? Remember last time you rebuked him, you said, if you had, you had little faith, why did, couldn't you do the miracle? Because the little of faith. This time he goes, okay, you got it. Where is it? And the point is, is that their faith was in him doing it. And his point is, I told you we're going to the other side. Why didn't you use your faith to stop the storm? Why did you wake me? And what I'm getting at is in prayer, often we're asking God to do things that in the third heaven we have authority to do. See, in the third heaven, we are not just praying to God. We're praying with God. We are seated in heavenly places with God and we have the authority that God has. We have authority over the earth. I don't have to come to, I don't have to turn to God and go, God, will you, and God goes, I put you in authority, do something about it. 
Can you imagine if I said to Bill, Bill, you know, I have this problem with my, 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 my school ministry and I, I, I just need you to do something about it. He'd be like, I put you in charge of that. Why are you asking me about that? And what I'm getting at is oftentimes we don't know we're in charge. Okay, so right after this, about 35 minutes in, he talks about prophetic prayer that moves mountains. Uh, he references 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. So let me read that really quick for you, just so you can see what that verse has to say. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. It says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. So this is what he's referencing to prophetic prayers move mountains. And he um, talked about personal prophecy, a, a story of his own personal prophecy when he was battling a time about three and a half years of sound like some depression and, and some min- and some anxiety issues, severe anxiety issues that he was dealing with. He goes on at the end to expound a little bit on Daniel from his perspective. And he says um, about that Daniel prayed. He believes that Daniel prayed Isaiah 45 and prophesied in as far as prophetic prayers that he called Cyrus in. Um, because uh, the scriptures talk about Cyrus a hundred years, uh, Isaiah wrote about Cyrus a hundred years before that took place. And so his point was in that, that Daniel says he prayed Isaiah 45, referencing Cyrus, and that he was essentially pr- prophetically praying Cyrus into that position um, and agreeing with scripture. And then um he ends with this talking about prophetic prayers and prophetic declarations. And I apologize, this is the last clip I'm going to play for you. So you can just, again, hear the context and, and hear what he says saying in his own words. What I'm getting at is this. You're not just changing your history through prophetic declarations. You're, pra- you're changing our history through prophetic declarations. Would you stand? This morning when I was up front, one of our leaders came over to me during worship in first service, and he said, I had this vision of you. Is it all right if I share it? I'm like, yeah. He said, I had this vision, and everyone had their hands out, and you were handing every single person a sword, and it said, history maker on it. And he said, I don't think you're just preaching. I think you're equipping the saints to shape history. So I'd like you just to put your hands out like this, and if you're watching by Bethel TV, you can just join us right here. You're a history maker also. And if you're in the overflow room, anywhere you hear my voice, just put your hands out like this, because I believe that prophetic declaration is true. I believe I'm going to equip you right now with something that you don't have, not because I'm anybody special, but because I'm God's anointed today. Remember, you prayed for me. So now God's anointed is going to give you a sword, and you're going to take this sword, and you're going to shape history with it the sword. Lord, we just release swords in this room. Not swords to cut people's ears off. Not swords to attack humans. But sword of the Lord to fight against the demonic prince's apologies. To shape history towards the king and his kingdom. To defeat the enemy on his own turf. And to begin to shape history towards the king and his kingdom. Until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God, and history becomes his story. So I know this was a little bit different episode today, but I wanted to take a little bit different approach to get you more engaged, get myself more engaged, and that we would take a look at scripture and to listen to um, these differing areas because um, we do see um, some some differences in this and some things that... Um, that that may bring us some pause to to go back to say okay is this biblical is this the the proper context 
is this helping me to to grow in Christ and to grow in, in the understanding of his word and spiritual maturity. And one thing I forgot to mention too about um, when he talked about math, um, Mark eleven twenty three, um, that was another word of faith, <laughs> word of faith teaching about um, casting the mountain into the sea, having enough faith for that. I can't remember how many times I heard that um, referenced and, and remember hearing that through the years as far in that, in that context, when you, if you hear it, people trying to use it in that context. So I, I hope that this was helpful today. And like I said, I do encourage you to go back to scripture, to go back and, and look at some of these, to take time, whether on your lunch break or, um, in the morning or evening or whatever, um, to look at these and to grow in, in the word and to understand biblical prayer and to know that you don't have to work yourself up. If I can encourage you anything in this before we go, you don't have to work yourself up into a frenzy or um, shout or pace back and forth or do anything special for God to hear you. The, the, The scripture tells us how we are to come before God in prayer and to, and that we can come before the throne of grace in our time of need and mercy. And we don't have to work up anything in order for it to be genuine for it to be heartfelt and for it to be pleasing to God. And, and just know that, um, that, that you can trust God in prayer, that if it reading God's word will help you to understand how to pray, even if you're just starting with the Lord's prayer in Matthew six, and then you're continuing to, um, to ponder and to meditate on what prayer really means and what it looks like from a biblical perspective. I will share the links to the articles I read to you. In addition, I will also um, find a good uh, link that talks about the Acts prayer model that may be of help to you. But um, until next time, I look forward to being with you again as we uh, dive into scripture and to another topic. Be blessed today by the truth of God's word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.